Bonjour tout le monde et bienvenue. Welcome online and in person to Concordia University's fourth space. Thank you so much for joining us for Creative Businesses and the Business of Creativity, Perspectives on Art-Driven Entrepreneurship. To help situate you, we are streaming to YouTube live from Fourth Space, which is located on unceded indigenous lands here in Jojage, Montreal. Nous reconnaissons la nation Kanyankahaga comme gardienne des terres et des eaux sur lesquelles nous nous réunissons aujourd'hui. And we make this acknowledgement to bring awareness and understanding of the history of indigenous peoples and their territories we occupy. At Fourth Space, we work with our university community to mobilize and exchange knowledge by co-creating daily activities, conversations such as this one. So it's our pleasure to have collaborated with the National Bank Initiative in Entrepreneurship and Family Business at John Molson School of Business and the Faculty of Fine Arts to make this panel possible. It's now my pleasure to pass the floor to Deans and Marie Croteau and Annie Gérin. Welcome. Bonjour. I am uh, Annie Gérin, Dean of Concordia's Faculty of Fine Arts. Bonjour, and I'm Anne-Marie Croteau, the first woman dean of the John Wilson School of Business. Thank you for joining us today for a honest conversation about the tensions, the challenges, and the potential for innovation in arts and entrepreneurship. At the John Wilson School of Business, we are on a mission to achieve our greatest potential for the betterment of business and society, but we can't do it alone. The unique opportunity offered to us today Baye-san and Mark will allow us to explore all the factors that invite innovation in establishing a successful creative business. Entrepreneurial uh, mindset is increasingly important for creative practitioners in a modern economy. Before the pandemic, Statistics Canada estimated that the direct economic impact of culture, of culture industries, including visual arts, performing arts, literature and publishing, music, media arts, and screen-based uh, industries, amounted to roughly $53.1 billion. And according to the Global Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, the proportion of self-employed creatives is increasing globally due to a rise in contractual form of work, multiple job holding, and non-institutional support. Canadian statistics show that 30 to 40% of women in creative industries are self-employed compared to 15 to 20% in other industries. Combined with the statistic that Dean Gérin just shared, these numbers paint a picture of opportunity for sure, but also concern. Indeed, the reality for women in this area is that it's not that easy. Women get paid less, perform less hours, and have to combine several other jobs to finally earn a decent living. And we know artists and creative businesses took a hard hit during the pandemic. As we're turning a corner and adjusting to today's business realities, it's necessary that we have an informed narrative and open dialogue around the challenges creative businesses face, but also the potential for development in this area. The undeniable social contributions to intellectual, cultural, and artistic communities by our students and our alumni have led us here today to have this timely conversation on how we can help each other thrive using our collective expertise. So on behalf of both of our faculties, we thank you all for joining us and we wish you an insightful exchange. Thank you all. Mm -hmm.
Thank you, Annie and Anne-Marie, for your uh, introductory remarks. And thank you all for being here, including those who are joining us virtually. Um, thank you. My name is Ehsan Dayati. I'm director of the National Bank Initiative in Entrepreneurship and Family Business at the John Muslim School of Business. And I'm Mark Weiser. I'm the supervisor of the Strategic Initiatives Portfolio at the Faculty of Fine Arts here at Concordia. We've been informally chatting for some time now about how our two faculties may build collaborative projects together. Uh, at first, we had a bit of a hard time imagining it. After all, art and business are strange bedfellows. Um, but recently, over a cup of coffee, we realized that maybe the logical place to start was exactly right there in the strangeness at the confluence of the two fields. Uh, investigating, as Annie mentioned, the pushes and the pulls, the hidden commonalities, the challenges and the tensions that keep us coming back to the table. Yeah, so we decided to start with this panel that we have today as a part of the exchange series of the National Bank Initiative and as the first collaborative event of such between our two faculties. And it has been a remarkably fun and exciting journey so far. Uh, so. I guess well, <laughs> you keep it this way, I'm sure. To do this, we needed to enlist expertise. So we got to work and brought to you this panel of amazing panelists, that we, uh, the group of panel, uh, amazing panelists that we see here who could speak to the multiple facets of these questions. And we're happy to offer this panel discussion today featuring Megan Bradley. Megan is the co-owner co -owner and director of the Bradley uh, Art Art is Kiran, so I hope I'm, I'm right on pronouncing that, yeah. <laughs> and Concordia Art, uh, Art, Humanity, Art History alumna. Uh, Diane Roberts, who is the founding, founding artistic director of Arrival Legacy Project and interdisciplinary humanities PhD student at Concordia. We also have Undine Hogebaum, who's joining us online, you see on the screen over there, uh, who's the director and founder of Flourishing Startups, which she'll tell us about, and a program lead at Concordia's D3 Incubator. Um, and finally, Brigitte Leblanc, uh, there, there she is, um, Associate Vice President Canada and International at the Creative Industries Group, National Bank of Canada. Uh, and finally, the panel is moderated by Dr. Adrienne MacDonald, who's an Associate Professor and Canada Research Chair in Governance and Sustainability at the Department of Management at the John Molson School of Business. We are really quite proud to have such an impressive roster of, of women on our panel today. Um, and it just so happens, uh, as it was intimated before, that this is International uh, Women's Rights Day. And so it's a, it's a happy confluence. And, and in fact, maybe not such a coincidence considering the subject matter as we'll get into. Yep, and it was all planned. <laughs> so we would like to thank the National Bank for the support in the initiative and also specifically, especially Concordia Forces Space for their support and hosting us today. Uh, but with such a magnificent list of speakers, our real job is to get out of the way. And so without further ado, please welcome our panelists. Adrian, the panel is yours. Yeah. Thank you so much. So welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us this afternoon um, and coming to our event on art-driven entrepreneurship, where we're going to explore questions around what happens when we have business and creative processes converging and, and what the two worlds can actually learn from each other. So we had your introductions, but I think I want to give you each an opportunity uh, to speak about um, a little bit more about yourself and your work in your own words. And then I would also like you to perhaps reflect a little bit 
on how your work and your experiences relate um, to the intersection of art and business. Uh, so we'll start with Diane. Thank you so much. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Diane Roberts. I am the founding artistic director of the Arrivals Legacy Project. Uh, this is a project that was um, that has been in progress, in process, for the past 20 years, and it actually started here at, at Concordia. Um, I'll tell you the history in a second, but I want to say uh, where we are in our um, uh, organizational development. We're in the second year of um, of being a nonprofit organization. Uh, so uh, two years ago, we um, we uh, registered as a nonprofit organization, and that was out of necessity uh, because we actually had received um, quite a large grant from the Digital Arts Strategy Fund at the Canada Council, and that prompted. Uh, me as as the proprietor at that sole proprietor at that time to say I don't want that money coming through my account. <laughs> so how, so I I'd always wanted to create an organization out of the Arrivals Legacy Project. So it gave me the opportunity to do that um, with that funding in place. So we I I brought an incredible board of directors together. Um, one of which is in the room today. But uh, I, and I uh, it's a national board of directors. Um, and uh, we've been operating now for, uh, like I said, just coming up to two years. Uh, should I tell a little bit about the history of the organization or? Sure. Yeah, that... we have a few more seconds. Yeah, okay, go ahead. Great. Yeah. So basically, um, the Arrivals Legacy process uh, was a process that I developed. As I said, I was here at Concordia. I was teaching in um, the theater department an introductory to acting course. And I wanted to create an exercise where I felt that um, the students would be on an equal playing ground, culturally, uh, disciplinary. Um, some of the artists that were coming in to take that course were designers and, um, and theater studies students, technicians, as well as actors. So I created an exercise where I asked the uh, students to embody an ancestor two or three generations away. And through that process, they really started to gain an understanding, a deeper understanding of themselves as artistic vehicles, but also as people. They started to connect to a river of experience in their own histories. Um, so I, I um, started to develop this work, working with uh, more artists across Canada, uh, focusing mostly on racialized artists and indigenous artists, looking at ways that we create based on our root cultural traditions. And so from that, uh, the process developed over the past 20 years, and it was last year that we just decided that the process needs an organization to contain it. Awesome, thank you. Uh, actually, let's go to Andine online, switch it up a little bit. Hi everyone, I'm a bit gutted that I'm not there with you all in person. I'm down with a little bit of a throat thing this morning and want to keep everyone safe. Uh, so thanks for having me online. Um, so I guess my story, I've always been an entrepreneur. I've started seven social enterprises over the last 25 years in Botswana, South Africa, and now in Canada for the last 10 years. 
And my work has always been centered around this question, can business do good? Can business be good? And not just for some, but for all its people, for everyone it serves, our communities and our planet. And then I kind of transitioned in the last probably eight years to asking the question, can business be more than good? Uh, could it be a vehicle for regeneration and healing? And so even though I started all of these great businesses uh, um, over kind of 25 years, I kept hearing this story that um, if I want to be taken seriously, especially in North America, um, I would need to kind of support all of my experience by having a strong business background. So I went and did an MBA, um, which was fun, but it was also a little bit shocking to me um, because I was pretty disappointed. Uh, some of the content and underlying approaches to business were not matched up to my experiences in starting and running social impact businesses. There wasn't a lot of talk around sustainability and a lot, not a lot of understanding around the context of business. We exist in communities, in society, and on a planet. Um, I know that when I did my MBA 10 years ago, a lot has changed since then. And it's very exciting to see some of the programming that we see in MBAs today. But during my MBA, I designed a, a method called the Flourishing Startup Method. And it forms a set of scaffolding, supporting and enabling the design of business models that we we say are aligned to kind of flourishing goals. So flourishing is, I'll uh, give you a couple of definitions. Uh, one is it's about loving ourselves, loving our land and loving our people. And a business is thrivable when it enhances the integrity, beauty, regenerative capacity of the whole living community that it touches. And this is the center of my work at Flourishing Startups as well as Balsam Impact by District 3 at Concordia. We're embedding this flourishing startup approach into programming. And how it connects to art? Well, firstly, art for me um, is an incredibly powerful vehicle for change stimulation. It's provocative, it's there to make us think. Uh, it enables us to witness and experience different perspectives, cultures, and most importantly, to question some of the paradigms that are uh, perpetuating really harmful practices, oppressive systems and inequality, uh, both in our communities and certainly also through business. Secondly, there's artists. And in order to design flourishing aligned businesses, we've been doing a lot of work around what we believe is a new set of competencies for entrepreneurship to bring about these flourishing organizations. And voila, what do we have? These competencies are, in fact, incredibly aligned to the competencies that already exist in artists. Flourishing competencies include empathy, creativity, openness, iterative design, wholehearted engagement, feeling deeply, being engaged. Art speaks to cultural intelligence. Artists 
possess cultural intelligence. And honestly, I come from a business background. I think that our artist community have the potential to change our world for the better. We need them. And so my work is highly intersect intersected with the artist community. Um, and yeah, so happy to be part of this conversation, exploring all of this today. Thank you so much, Andine. Okay, Bridget, let's hear from you. Hi, everybody. Um, so I am uh, the leader of the Creative Industries Group at the National Bank. So I found it very interesting when I spoke to Hassan, uh, understanding the key question being, you know, does it exist an intersection between arts and business? Um, and I think that we embody <laughs> in a certain way uh, the intersection. Um, basically, uh, the mandate that I have with my team uh, is to support any banking financial uh, needs uh, for creative companies. Um, and just to be clear, because you know, creativity and art um, has many definitions, um, we cover uh, productions, uh, we cover gaming, um, musicals, uh, any types of artists, um, digital, digital creativity. So basically we have the opportunity on a daily basis to hear um, the projects, the dreams that uh, all of these uh, creators have and translate it, if you will, uh, within uh, the bank's, uh, I'd say, requirements and support uh, those, uh, those companies. So um, we've been uh, existing for 25 years. So obviously this is uh, certainly um, a sector that uh, we believe in. Um, it, uh, personally, I find that it has a really big impact. I'm very proud to be part of, uh, of that team. Um, and I guess I would keep it at that. Great. All right. Last but not least, Megan. I'm glad I got to go last. <laughs> I got the shakiness out. Um, so my name is Megan Bradley, and I'm the co-founder and co-owner of a gallery here in Montreal called Bradley Ertaskaran. <laughs> um, my partner, my business partner's name is Antoine Ertaskaran, and um, we are a commercial enterprise. So we are a privately owned um, commercial space, but we work with contemporary artists who are doing um, extremely uh, evocative, interesting um, contemporary artwork. So um, my uh, job is to represent these people and to represent them in many different ways. So we accompany them throughout their career and our relationships are long-term. Um, we really focus on long-term goals with our artists and we look to get them into institutions and to have sort of... Um, international impact as much as possible, to really have as much um, visibility as possible. And then of course, we also try to sell their artwork. And so we do that in different ways. We have um, a lot of uh, individual clients who we've uh, you know, uh, cultivated over time. Both myself and my business partner had galleries prior to opening our galleries. So we've really been doing this for a long time and we both came to the table with a strong client base that we continue to de develop. Uh, so we have individual clients, we have corporate clients, and we have institutional clients. Uh, and our 
yeah, so our job is to place artwork with these clients, but as I was saying, it's also really about representing our artists in, in other ways as well and, and accompanying them through all sorts of different um, challenges and um, supporting them um, if they want to do a major installation at a not-for-profit museum space. Maybe we contribute to you know helping them build that installation. There's all sorts of things that we do. We do a lot of outreach for our artists that isn't strictly based upon um, a sale, uh, again, as I say, it's like a very holistic approach to representation, and it's kind of akin, perhaps, to representing maybe um, like a, an, a, I don't know, an actor, maybe. You have sort of all kinds of different things that you do that isn't about one specific uh, immediate um, result. So uh, it's a very privileged position that I'm in. It took me kind of a, um, well, no, it, it, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time in sort of different ways. And it's really kind of a dream come true because I realized quite early on that this is what I wanted to do. And when I did try to kind of stray away from it, I always always sort of pulled back because I love to accompany artists in their creativity. I am not a creative person. I am not a maker. And I have a tremendous respect for people who can make because they make us think. They make us question things. So, um, yes. Great. That's Thank you. That's perfect. That's perfect. Okay, so let's dive right in to the, the conversation part where we start to explore the relationship between business, maybe uh, with a focus on entrepreneurship and art. So how do you understand this relationship? And based on your own experiences, what do you see as the differences and some of the tensions? That's kind of the juicy stuff that I always like to get into, perceptions and also the commonalities between these different worlds. So we'll start with Bridget. <laughs> and we'll move through the, the panel. Um, well, first, uh, I think that there's um, a big element is uh, a perception. And I think it's a false perception that if, if it's culture, if it's art, that it cannot be business. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think that this perception has played in minds of a lot of people for too long. Um, fortunately, it's it's changing um, for the good. Um, I don't see it in, in opposition at all um, because if I compare it to any other type of business, um, whatever you're you're what I say producing, uh, if it's a, if it's a show, if it's an art piece, if it's a you know a TV show, whatever, um, the the questions that you'll ask yourself. Um, will be the same as any other entrepreneur. The issue that we see too often is that the people that go in the, the arts track or people that go on the business track, I'll, so I'll start with the art track, um, tremendous talent, of course, and they learn their skills and so forth, but there's no business component. So when they get out of you know school and they go out into the world, um, they have, you know, again, tremendous uh, capacities and, and skills and creativity, but they don't know what they don't know. So to, you know, build a business out of it um, is always quite a challenge. Um, and that's why, you know, we come into play and, and we try to support and, and, you know, and not just us, but, um, you know, have them learn uh, the, the, the tricks and trades. Um, so, so it's not in opposition, um, and, um, and in if I go into the business side, um, there's a lack of creativity often, mm. um, which uh, is, is sad because 
we've seen uh, with the pandemic in our industry how resilient uh, all of the uh, this sector was. And I really believe that a big portion of this resilience is based on their capacity to create, to, you know, to find other ways of approaching an issue, a challenge. Um, so to have those two, um, I guess, get closer would be beneficial on both sides. So, um, so to be, to answer the point on, on what's common, uh, of course, in both, both, um, uh, situation, business and, and art, uh, there's creativity. And as I was saying on the business side, too often, there's not enough creativity. We just, we focus on, it's very rational and we focus on numbers and, uh, you know, obviously it's not a winning uh, combination always. Um, but uh, yeah, I, and I think uh, right now it's, uh, I would say in the last couple of years, um, I, from what I see throughout Canada, and I would say especially in Quebec, um, there's um, this awakeness uh, with, I guess, people on the creative space that there's a, a way to do business, to evolve, um, to create uh, IP and um, and to have, uh, I guess, Quebec and Canada just be and, and resonate on the international uh, level. So, and not just the people, but a lot of uh, organizations, um, Telefilm, SEDEC, uh, CMF, uh, the banks, uh, are, are some of them are working up as well. So I, I think there's definitely an evolution where there'll be, uh, I guess, a conversion uh, art and uh, business. Awesome, thank you. Does any other panelists feel compelled? Otherwise, I'll just call on somebody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure, Megan. I would just say something quickly about kind of the idea of like determination and believing in one's um, capacities and abilities to do something important. And I feel like there is kind of an intersection between business and innovation and um, artists and creativity because you have to really, really, really believe in what you're doing because often artists are working uh, alone and, you know, it's it's very challenging. You have to have a really strong um, composition. You have to really kind of trust that you are doing something that is of value. And I think that business owners and entrepreneurs have to have that same trust because they have to go out and get other people to believe in them too. So there is kind of an interesting crossover there. I will say that to Brigitte's point, it's so true that... Um, sometimes it's a shame that there aren't some more of the skills, you know, or this, this kind of things you need to know that can be taught in creative industries because that can really assist people. And um, I think that artists need to be able to focus on their work. And sometimes I think that's why they need people like me who can assist them with some of the other stuff. But they also would benefit from having some, um, some a little bit more coming out of the gate, you know, some more knowledge um, in terms of some of the business stuff that can be really important. Fabulous. Diane? Um, I, I, I'm coming from a very different perspective to, the, to both of you in that um, I am an artist and, um, and the business of arts is the part of my practice that is, um, that needs the most help, <laughs> you know, that, uh, that finding arts administrators that are, um, uh, willing to take the journey with artistic directors 
is a challenge um, and has become more of a challenge, I'd say, over the course of the pandemic. There's also been a real shift in the culture um, around um, arts production and the value of arts since the pandemic. Um, and it in some ways made our company um, or my company uh, quite a bit more relevant because of the skills and the competencies that you mentioned, um, some of the skills and competencies that exist through the natural production of creative practice that can be applied to business. Now, I find that there's a real tension in trying to understand the languages and how the languages can um, work together more. Um, because the language of business doesn't always sort of fit the language of arts production. Great. And Andine? Yeah, I had a, a really long think about this. And yeah, I have, I have a response. Um, we all know what business is. It's an entity engaged in commercial or industrial professional activities. That's kind of how we define a business. But how do we define art? The expression or application of human talent, creative skills, and imagination. So for me, of course, there's a tension that exists because these are not the same things, yet they are being weighed up against each other in actually quite a binary way. How can we compare apples with pears, a business which is an interconnected set of multiple activities, people, cross-functionalities as an entity with one individual creative expression. Yet we do compare them strangely. And we also compare business folk and artists. When we compare business folks and artists, we also compare them through this dominant kind of capitalist lens, which views art and artists as often second rate to business. The successful businessman, the struggling artist, right? This is a narrative that we kind of carry. And I think these narratives are just plainly incorrect. We need to go back to this question around how do we define art and how do we place value on the skills, creativity, and contributions of individuals to communities and societies. The other thing that I think is really important is that art is incredibly broad. Like think about the spectrum of all, um, everything from kind of like visual designers, performers, potters, uh, painters, sculptures, dancers, fashion designers, uh, gaming uh, designers, uh, commercial writers, healers. I mean, this is kind of all encompassed in this definition of art. Um, and Anne-Marie mentioned in our opening around the scale of the value of the creative economies globally. Um, and this is significant. Um, so I know many artists in business that are entrepreneurs and they're in business because their art is kind of product centered. They're adapting their products based on market needs. And so, of course, this becomes a business. And some artist businesses are really large, some of them are micro businesses, and some even contribute into informal sectors. 
And then there's the question, well, is commercial art art? Is this art? Well, yes, it is art. It's a form of art. So I think, you know, we really need to better understand the diversity of art so that we don't blanket all art and put them into a single box because I don't think this is wise. There are emerging models and a lot more support that I've seen um, certainly over the last 10 years around how we support artists commercially in business. And Adrienne, it's this kind of merging of, of business and, and artists, practitioners together that form a really um, incredible and dynamic um, opportunity for art to be commercialized. But we also need to support artists in the language, in the ways. And, uh, um, you know, th this is what was just mentioned by Diane, um, that fit their creative process. This will make the transition of artists into a commercial space more equitable, inclusive. I know so many artists that suffer terribly from imposter syndrome in the business community. It's not very welcoming. But we also need to educate business folks in the value of the creative economies, in business models supporting art and commercializing art so that they can see the potential and they can see themselves there. Because if we have more business folks and artists collaborating from a commercial perspective, I think we have you know, an incredible opportunity to bring art commercially into the world. But I do wanna mention the artists that are creating in the social and environmental justice movements. And I believe that this is a pretty big misfit between art and business. Because how do you commercialize expression, social commentary, paradigm exposure, individual and collective stories? And this is the big question that artists have asked for many years. How do we monetize our artistic truth? Which is why we can't lump all artists into one category. Fundamentally, it comes down to the value that we put on these types of artists, because it's these types of artists that I believe are changing the narrative for the way that we can bring about new innovations and new ideas to solve some of our planet's biggest challenges. And here, there is a very big and distinctive divide because you can't commercialize this. And business is only interested in art that you can commercialize. And we need these artists that are supporting innovative new ideas. Um, and so that's my big question. How do we support those artists um, so that they can join us in business, um, bring their, their, their minds, their creativity, the way that they see the world to help us to imagine different things, different opportunities, um, so that business can be a source of good um, and aligned to flourishing outcomes. And that's my question. And sorry, that was a long ramble, but thanks for listening to that. That was perfect. I loved every minute of it. Um, okay, so now we have a couple of questions that are directed at um, specific panelists, but of course, other panelists are welcome to, to add if they, if they uh, wish. Um, so th this question is directed at uh, Bridget and Andine. Uh, so this question is around, 
Is there a hybrid form of art-driven entrepreneurship in it that exists today or that is waiting to come into existence? And how do current trends in both the art and business worlds dictate some of these developments? Um, so I guess we'll start with Bridget because we ended, uh, we'll give Undine a minute to catch her breath and start with Bridget. Um, well, that's a good question. I, and it was kind of um, uh, in, in, a, in a bind to answer it, uh, to be honest, because uh, I, I wasn't sure what we actually mean by a hybrid. Um, so my definition of, of hybrid is really... Um, just the evolution of of art um, into the business world um, with the eyes that we have today. So, um, as an example uh, of evolution for a hybrid, um, so we have. I was talking to I was talking to you about uh, Ubisoft, um, how this uh, gaming company of of course I'm sure many of you know um, has such a big impact in Quebec. So. You've got this uh, company that has tremendous uh, employees, tremendous talent, and uh, who are artists, various types of artists. And in the last few years, uh, many of them have started up their own businesses. So for me, it's, it's, it would fall into this hybrid world of art and business where you have people that initially were not business women or, or men um, that were pure artists, if you will, learned the ropes by working within a company and then you know thought, listen, I've got this great idea that I want to pursue on my own and you know I'll start my own business. So so these um, these new companies have emerged more and more in the last few years. And this is so this is the case in, in the gaming space. We see this as well in the digital creativity space. Um, so, so that's one thing. The second thing, the hybrid, um, the fact that right now, just with the technology um, and, and you know, COVID did bring some good uh, out of the mess, um, we saw how we can reach people through you know, various platforms. So you have more and more now artists that use this tool to sell or, or to uh, propulse uh, the message, uh, you know, whatever they want to put out there, um, and worldwide. So that in itself um, generates, I guess, uh, revenues or a business model that didn't exist just a few years back. Um, so basically hybrid, uh, the other element of hybrid I see is uh, in the digital creativity space, which I find amazing, is that you've got this crossroad of, of talents. So engineers, uh, you know, uh, people that draw. So all these types of backgrounds that come together uh, and create an installation that can travel worldwide. Um, and so this is, again, very new because it barely existed about 10 years ago. Um, so again, for me, this is kind of a, of a hybrid element because it's really a mix of, of people that are very rational, that are very, you know, like you would think maybe engineers, bringing and combining them with people that uh, are there only purely to create. Um, and, they, and they do business out, businesses out of it. Um, 
So yeah. Great. Thank you so much. And I'm Dean. Um, so for me, the hybrid form of kind of creative driven entrepreneurship is social entrepreneurship or impact centered entrepreneurship. So I've seen over the years, many, many artists uh, starting impact centered businesses and organizations because they're really attuned to the issues and challenges in the world. They can imagine, they deeply empathize with these big challenges that we face and they wanna act. And business is a vehicle for action. It's a vehicle for activism. Um, so again, with my business background, I, I don't really believe that business folks are going to solve the world's biggest challenges. I believe that artists can offer alternatives to provoke us to look differently, to dream up futures that we can't even imagine, um, and offer opportunities for alternative perspectives. But artists also need business folks to implement and grow these ideas. And this is where business folks are so highly skilled. They can take these brilliant ideas and bring them into the world and grow these ideas. And of course, they're missing folks in this story and this narrative. We need the scientists, we need the humanitarians, we need the philosophers, healers, and many others as well. So we have a lot of evidence today that says interdisciplinary, intergenerational, and intercultural teams are the most innovative overall. And so for me, this is the future, and this is where artists can play a really significant role. I think both artists and business folks need to work on cultural intelligence competencies so that they can co-create democratized ways to work together that are free from dominant power dynamics, mm -hmm. where artists have an equal seat at the table. And this is what will enable real innovation to transpire in our business communities. I don't believe artists, especially those that are working in social and environmental change and social commentary, I don't think they need more business skills. I think artists that are visioning and imagining new ways of doing things and solutions need to be partnered with, the, with business folks. But what these artists do need are new models to support their work. So maybe they're part of innovation teams, but there's also periods of time where business pays for them to go and create their art. So we need to think about new models to support the creatives that we need in business to support us with innovation. And I would love to see more business folks immerse in more creative uh, uh, um, activities. Bridget, you mentioned that earlier. I think that this would help us to begin to imagine more equitable, safe, and just business practices that will enable us to support new innovations. So lots of opportunity for synergy um, together. Thanks. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Do any of our other panelists want to have anything they want to add to that conversation? <laughs> Perfect. Um, and I, I, I really understand, Onzin, what you're saying, um, because, and, and I think there are two, two folds. So when we talk about artists, um, 
you know, obviously they, there's a multitude of artists that don't necessarily want to have own manage their own business. They, they want to do their skill. They, they want to, you know, be creative on whatever they're doing. And, and that's, you know, perfect. That's their motivation. Um, the ones that do want to build a business out of it, um, again, I think it's, it's a question of mindset because unfortunately, um, I think most of the, the world, should I say, think that because you're an artist, um, you will not have the necessarily skill set to be a business person. But that's, that's not true, first. Second thing, um, this reality where you don't know what you don't know is the same with any other sector. So anybody else that does whatever, you know, wants to sell a bottle or whatever, that has not done, um, you know, an MBA course or, or a management, whatever, will not have, it's not going to be, they're not going to be born with the skills because they're selling a bottle versus the artist that will be selling whatever. So, so I think that first people need, the artist, uh, the, the creativity space need to stop uh, thinking that uh, it's a break, it's, it's, a, it's a mountain, then it's not, uh, it's, those two are not uh, two realities that can be in the same space. Um, everything can be learned. So again, it's working with the right people. It's yes, working in teams, collaborating. Uh, I believe that there's a lot of innovation when you bring different uh, skill sets in different worlds. Um, but really to not, to stop thinking that because we're in the creative space that, oh, well, uh, too bad. We don't know business. We won't be able to manage a business because the steps that a new person in the world of business will have to climb are the same that any other person in any other sector will have to climb. So, yeah, everything can be learned. Perfect. Thank you so much. Okay, so these, this uh, next question is directed primarily at Megan and Diane, although, as always, other panelists can jump in. Uh, so as a person with roots in the art domain, how have business-related considerations affected your creative process? Uh, and journey, and then what did you need to learn through that journey? Um, so let's start with Diane. Um, I, it's interesting because I was reading um, a transcript of an interview I did. Uh, there was a, a book coming out on this very topic, Business and the Arts, and I was reading that interview and and reading, um, rereading what I had said about uh, some of the ways that I supported myself when I, I work as an independent artist. So sometimes we take jobs that need to, um, to, that need to sustain us because we're waiting for the next um, creative job that will sustain us. So I was thinking about, um, I, I went the temping route. Some artists do the restaurant route and, I, and some artists do the admin route. And, um, and I was thinking about some of the jobs that um, I had along the way that prepared me for running the company and running different companies that mm. I've run uh, throughout my career. And um, some of those administrative, deep administrative skills and some of the creativity that um, came with um, the skills that we brought to businesses. So um, in the temping world, um, uh, the um, businesses or, or uh, government organizations really wanted artists because we would, 
we would put everything into all the creativity into developing um, uh, uh, whatever it was, the documents that we had to do, and would often finish our work quite early. Um, and and so I, 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 I'm thinking about that, and I'm thinking about that in terms of the trajectory and where I land now. Um, I think one of the things that we're really good at as artists and that we don't give ourselves credit for is this part is this idea of partnership building and community building so we have incredible skills at at trying to bring the right people around us and one of the things that i like about the nonprofit structure is that you get to work with whoever you want really you can work with um um, lawyers, <laughs> lawyers, administrators, with um, doctors, with people who have um, skills that could uh, they could bring to the table, but are inspired by the vision of the work. So, so it's the vision, it's the values that really take us to those deeper places. Um, and, and I agree with you, Dean, that um, when it's a business that is um, basing itself on social enterprise, on how do we change the world, on the power of story to change lives, um, on this idea of community building, it sometimes feels incompatible to use the capitalist language. Yeah. So how do we then find a new language, a new way of... of um, creating uh, spaces that are actually thriving spaces for artists and intercultural artists, uh, you know, spaces that businesses are dying for. And I see sometimes, you know, um, uh, some businesses borrow the language of artists mm. by taking on, you know, Mitsubishi wants to have a new way of, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I can't even think right now of the, of the language that's being used, but, but there's a borrowing of language, but not necessarily an exchanging of the values. Yeah. So, yeah, so I think the future for me is in that, that um, collaborative space. Where can we collaborate? And what, where, how can we as artists think that we're, consider ourselves not needing support? I yeah. need your support. I, you know, we're, we, we're put in this place of need rather than how can we actually work together to change the world? Yeah. Um, okay, so maybe my creative process and journey, business-related considerations, yes. So um, I, I, my journey was roundabout in a way because I studied art history and I did both my undergrad and my master's in art history and doing that I had absolutely no formal business training and um, I, I recognized that I was really interested in business but I was also really interested in the history of art and particularly the history of contemporary art because it was easy for me to kind of access and understand that's usually considered like maybe 60s or 70s onward so you could look at all these important political moments and look at them through art and I um I always thought there was a way that that art that becomes important or gets recognized in museums and in the history books, I mean, it gets there, somebody gets it there. So the artist gets it there, but there must be somebody else involved. So I kind of learned um, more and more about 
uh, galleries and what you know artist representatives can do. And um, I decided when I was 25 to open an art gallery and I had no experience and no network and no money and no nothing. I went to um, Yes Montreal, which is an organization here that helps young people sort of learn how to write business plans. I um, worked at a restaurant and, uh, you know, for six months and wrote a business plan in my off time. And then I got a bit of money. I opened a gallery and then I just... I just struggled for three years. It was just, it was so, it was such a struggle. I continued to work at the restaurant so that I could keep the gallery alive. Um, and I eventually closed the door and went to go work for somebody else's gallery because I desperately wanted to keep working in galleries and I just couldn't do it on my own anymore. But that experience, that part of my journey was by far the most valuable experience. That failure that for a long time, for me, it was a failure was the most valuable experience. And I, I would never take it back. So it was like, it was incredibly tough, but it was that, that kind of energy that I had when I was young and that I was naive too. And I, I just did it and I, and I didn't know what I was doing. And so, and I, I remember, yes, was great because they had some programs where we would have mentorship and stuff, but the distinctions that we're talking about today were very evident because the people who were offering mentorship were um, not at all aware of kind of some of the intricacies, like what, what it means to be an artist, what, how things might take longer. You know, it's not about an immediate transaction. It was all that stuff that was um, definitely not part of the repertoire then. And there were almost, you know, there were very few contemporary art galleries at the time. It was just, it, it was... Um, it was just a really interesting experience for me. So I was constantly kind of um, learning about how to be a business person and, and dealing with some of those, those things that we've been talking about too, where, you know, maybe you're not, you don't feel like you're in the right place or you're like, you can't really talk about business because it's a gallery and people sort of, you know, a gallery is like, oh, it's just a gallery, you know, but actually, you know, galleries are multi-million dollar businesses. And now that, you know, you know, 15 years later, I, I can see all of that. And I can see that I could have, you know, sat up a little straighter sometimes in those conversations because it was a, a legitimate thing to be doing. Um, but it was a, a incredible learning experience. So um, I guess, yeah, no, it's a bit of a rambling response, but <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> Super interesting. Do any of our other panelists want to add to that? Have any points that they want to add to that? No. Okay. So we have our concluding question now. Um, so here at Concordia, we have John Molson School of Business and the Faculty of Fine Arts just across the road from each other. Um, and in universities, you know, we like to talk about breaking down silos and fostering interdisciplinary collaboration. So what might it take for an institution like this to bring about innovation and co-creation between these two faculties? I'm curious to sort of pick your brains about that. Uh, so let's start with Diane. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> oh wow. Um... Yeah, this question, <laughs> I don't know if I have an answer to. Um, I think maybe just sort of jumping off what I was saying about partnerships, that there's something about the building of partnerships and the building of value statements that is a really important skill to learn, and it's an embodied skill. It's not something that you can sort of work out on a piece of paper. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can. 
But there's something else. There's something else that comes deep from our bodies, from our souls. And so perhaps a way of um, creating a synergy between the faculties is to allow for or invite an embodied process of visioning Mm -hmm. that would allow business students an opportunity to uh, work with different parts of themselves that they may not in uh, their normal life uh, or in their normal school life be able to do. And then where the exchange can happen with fine arts, like the, um, the, the business courses that might um, cross over and give us a sense of, I keep coming back to this idea of story, mm. you know, uh, how, how do we tell our story? How do we continue to retell our story? When you're in the, uh, the granting system, you're always trying to reinvent and retell your story in a way that will fit this funder's criteria and such. And that can be a debilitating skill, but it also could be a really, really wonderful skill as you continue to churn and and redevelop your ideas. So there's something, I think, in the synergy of story building, embodied processes, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and valued, valued development that could, could be a synergistic, um, I don't know how to end that sentence, but... <laughs> opportunity let's say yeah yeah and I think for me that kind of um comes back to some of this conversation that you were having around language right and finding new language that is sort of on equal footing for both parties right um so that we can sort of neutralize some of the power asymmetries potentially Mm -hmm. and helping those different groups speak to each other from a a new place of understanding is that I don't want to put words in your mouth (laughs) absolutely yeah. yeah thank you so much um, well, first, I think that today is the first step. I mean, I was excited uh, understanding that this panel was uh, was happening. Um, I mean, for me, it's about curiosity. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's taking the time for each, I'll say, faculty to, um, I guess, set up times, ways, activities to get to know one another, their realities, uh, their challenges, their dreams, and and to see out of those discussions if there's any junction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I have a lot of friends and, and myself personally, I would have loved to be a person, you know, the whole my own business. I had no ideas. So <laughs> then I was, a, you know, I work at a bank. Um, but if I had, you know, back then, if I had, because I'm a CPA, so if I had studied, you know, in my, my line of business, whatever, and I had the opportunity to meet uh, creative people that had ideas but wanted to merge with me, we maybe could have started a business together, you know, and put our strengths together. So I, I think there's a lot to be done there, uh, but it really starts by having people that are curious and setting up times and activities for them to get to know one another. Um, I mean, there's no, you know, there's no uh, miracle to uh, to be done, but it's. I find it's. I think the solution is quite simple. It's just to structure it, uh, and as I said, I think today is the first step. Yeah. To I hope others. Yeah, because when you come with curiosity, you're asking questions rather than coming with the answers, and I think that that does a lot to open up the dialogue uh, between different groups. Great. Okay. Let's see. We'll we'll do Megan, and then we'll end with Andine. 
Sure. I mean, I just echo um, both Diane and Bridget's points. Um, I think, you know, it's really the idea of having opportunities to listen to other people who are in sort of maybe very different um, faculties, but might have some, yeah, might have some points of um, intersection. And I just in my own experience, I do remember quite vividly that when I was studying here, I was studying art history, and it was very much like you're in the classroom and you you talk about art. And, you know, the, at the next building, or even sometimes in the next classrooms down, there were people who were making the art, and we didn't ever go and see them. And, and then when I stopped studying, I realized, oh, you can go and like do a studio visit and meet an artist and see what they're making in their studio. And I thought that was really funny because I, it, it didn't happen when I, in, in my time anyway here. And the same could be said of the business faculty mm. and the fine arts faculty that, you know, you could have the opportunity to go and, you know, visit a class or, or some sort. I'm sure there are so many ways to do it. And indeed, this is one of them that, you know, that the, the option is there if you're interested. So, um, yeah, that's all I'll say. Before you go to sure, Dean, sure. just uh, an idea popped into my head. I was uh, remembering when we were recruiting for the, um, a project manager, I, I reached out to Linda um, to ask her um, if there were any students that might be interested. And when we were looking at the applications, we tended to uh, veer towards the people that we kind of knew, not, not personally, but uh, the kind of experience that we knew. So um, even though I wanted to, um, I was interested in seeing what uh, um, graduating business students might bring to the table. There were skills that were missing and that I felt were missing. Mm -hmm. And, I, and I, I'm thinking back now, wow, wouldn't it have been an interesting opportunity to bring somebody from that didn't have the exact skills in and to, to find a way to sort of, I guess, um, build those skills. Yeah, mix it up a bit. Yeah, so I, it just dawned on me that um, this kind of risk-taking that we have to do in our businesses, um, in both biz the business and the arts, um, has to happen. Fabulous, thank you. Okay, Andine, you have the last word. Uh Boy, that's uh, a lot of pressure, but uh, I, I totally agree with uh, all of my fellow panelists. Um, I think, yeah, creating equitable exchanges, I think, between the two is, is really important. Um, there is this incredible architectural symbol actually in the building. There is a tunnel in the building that connects the business school to the Department of Fine Arts and Engineering. So imagine that this tunnel could be a conduit and essential and sacred link between the vision of art and the action of business in addressing um, some really interesting challenges in our world. Um, imagine the kind of dynamic energy flowing through the two um, there is an actual tunnel that links them. And I think this is really symbolic. Um, I think it could be one of the most important links that we have in the institution. And so my question back to uh, the hosts of this incredible panel discussion is, how are you going to ignite this tunnel so it becomes a foundation for innovation towards a flourishing future for us all? 
Well, that's a good thing. <laughs> we now have our work cut out for us, I think. <laughs> uh, perfect. I think that's, uh, we're basically right on time. Um, great. Well, uh, <clears throat> thank you so much for your incredibly rich contributions to this discussion. You too, Andine. Um, it's, it's really been a privilege to uh, sit and listen to the challenges that have been brought up and the, the really interesting ideas, all the, all the creativity that's been going on between uh, the five of you. So thank you very much. Thank you. If you have an idea for a podcast, please let us know. You can contact us by email at info.for at concordia.ca or find us on social media at cu4thspace. All social media is managed by Jacqueline Wexler. This episode of the 4th Space podcast is hosted by me, Maximus Delmar, and produced by Anna Vaklavec and Douglas Moffat. Editing by myself, Douglas Moffat, and Chanel Lees Marshall. Additional thanks to Supercontinent for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening.